Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. For last orders at the dockside, playing out in the Abbey stage, I asked writer Neve Gleeson to take over at the helm for a series of mini podcasts about life in the docks. You won't hear Neve's voice within these recordings. We decided to let the dockers and the dockers' daughter do the talking. And talk they do. About a way of life of a time gone by. Of hardship, of friendship, of family and friction. All the good, the bad, the long and the short of it. Enjoy this podcast. I'm Declan Bourne. I started working on the docks when I was 18 and I came from Orchard Road in Ballybock. I was a, applied as a junior clerk and the first few days, the first few weeks, uh, it was like as if, like landing on a, a, a different planet. Ballybock is a stone's throw from the docks, uh, but my father was you know, from Wicklow, he was a builder's labourer. I had no connection whatsoever with the docks. I had no understanding what got, went on there. So it, it was a complete eye-opener. The first job was, calc- the dockers would have been employed on a daily basis. So my first job was calculating their wage. And the men had come to the hatch every day and their wage was calculated on the th- the, what they discharged and what they loaded on the tonnage. So you can imagine uh, the discussions and the crack that was at the hatch. So. I know John talks about his first day, but my insight uh, came in the first few weeks. A neighbour of mine from Ballybock approached me and said, do you know that you can, that there's a lot of stuff smuggled through the docks? And I honestly didn't know that. And he said, uh, I've just bought a motorbike and I need you to get me uh, motorbike boots. And I said, how the hell do I get motorbike boots? So he says, you go on to the Polish boat. So the next day I checked what the, no, what the, when the next Polish boat was due. I went down, I often said that one of my things, issues in the docks is I was never given a nickname that stuck. Jimmy Gray gave me a nickname called Jack Dash, which I would have worn with a badge of honour because I, kn- I knew who Jack Dash was. He was a, a famous Liverpool trade unionist, socialist and docker, but it didn't stick. But the other nickname I'm glad that didn't stick was half a gobshite. So uh, I had that for a while, but I was glad when that went. But this story does kind of encapsulate that. So I went aboard a Polish ship, really nervous, asked the first crewman, uh, is it true I can buy uh, motorbike boots? And he said, yeah, he introduced me to another uh, seaman. He brought me down to his cabin. There was a whole array of vodka, vodka and other spirits. Uh, and lo and behold, he, he produced three motorbike boots for me. I picked one and I was leaving with them as if I was coming out of Dunn stores. And he said to me, no, you have to put them down your trousers. I didn't see how this was going to work. So I put them down my trousers, closed my jacket. I walked down the gangway and it was like a scene out of Starsky and Hutch. Two cars, customs officers pulled in and asked me to open my jacket. So I opened my jacket and here's two motorbike boots hanging off. So I, was, I didn't have the cop on that I developed down there. When they asked me my name, I gave them my right name. They asked me uh, where I was employed and I told them that I just started. So your man, I've had dealings with most customs officers, but this fellow was f- fairly bullshit. So he told me that he was going to charge me with smuggling 
he was going to confiscate the boots and he was going to report me to the job and have me sacked. So let's say uh, my life was looking very bleak. So on the deck of the ship was the foreman who I'd only known for a few weeks and his name was Paddy Kelly. His father was a famous foreman called Big Nose Kelly and then uh, his nickname was Little Big Nose. So Little Big Nose was on the deck of the ship looking after the discharge, checking out the hatches and he had another docker with him but at this stage they were looking over the ship and had witnessed everything. So he shouted down at the, the customs officer, that's fucking Declan Bourne, his wife's up the pole, which wasn't true. He hasn't got a penny to his name. He can't afford the bus fare into work. And he bought a motorbike and the gobshite doesn't even have a helmet, never mind fucking boots. Give him a break. So with that, the customs officer said, no, that's fine, I'm not going to charge you. And then Paddy Kelly says, and give him back his fucking boots. And the officer handed me over the boots. I brought it to the neighbour who told me he didn't like them. And even though I'd spent a tenner on them, I wasn't getting any money for them. <laughs> so all future smuggling I was involved with was for personal gain. I wasn't doing it for anybody else from then on in. The docks, I totally agree with when Miley talks about no two days being the same, the excitement. As I got older, I'm looking for calm in my life. But the docks was always chaotic. And being involved in the history group, I've been fascinated with, with local history and Irish history. And to find out that certain dockers in Rings End and Pear Street could, could trace uh, their families back six generations doing dock work. And then the different things that were, were really impressive. It was a very male environment. And there was a lot of bickering and fighting and you know, the Rings Enders were the girls. And then a, a woman from Rings End was told not to marry an over the bridger. And Dermot Bulger got in touch with me to say, well, that's a strange phrase. Does that mean she can't marry an outsider? And I said, you're not going to believe it. It means she can't marry uh, someone from Pierce Street. Never mind an outsider. But whenever there was a strike, or a dispute, or if ever a family uh, was experiencing hardship, uh, I have never seen people come together. Like the, the one, one dispute, we were locked out for eight months, uh, 200 dock workers. The employers told us if we applied for our job and broke ranks, we'd get our jobs back. And uh, there was one letter went there, thousands of letters went in because it was open to the public as well. But only one letter went in from one of the dock workers and he was at pains to say that his wife counterfeited his signature. So that kind of solidarity I've never experienced anywhere else. I don't, I don't want to give examples of the, the families going through hard times and the collections that were made. It was th that kind of solidarity was un unreal. And then probably three weeks after the strike, we're all fighting again. So, uh, that was the nature of the way we walked. When I joined the staff, another staff member told me that you could become a secret member of the Federated Workers' Union of Ireland. 
So I became a secret member and I thought this is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I'm paying a union due, but I can't own, open my mouth. I was one of the first clerical staff to join the Marine Port and General Workers Union. And then the chief executive of the company brought me in and told me that if I worked in the docks till I was 65, I'd still be a junior clerk. That this was considered an act of treachery. So again, uh, I enjoyed the experience. I was on branch committees, I was on the National Executive of the Union. Gave you a glimpse into the nature of the, the dock workers. I remember a senior manager appointed came in and he was all macho. And I used to be used to take the minutes of all these meetings. And a particular docker called Callahan halfway through asked me to move seats. So th this annoyed the boss a bit because he's making this presentation about how he, uh, the, you know, the dockers and the checkers are always demanding too much and he was there, he'd start them out. And we moved seats and he got a bit annoyed at moving seats and this chap Callahan started bending down and looking into his face. And eventually the fella says to him, what the hell are you doing? And he says, I'm not going to bother remembering your name. I was trying to do something so I can remember your face when you're fucking gone. <laughs> so uh, the normal industrial relations techniques and policies didn't apply to Dockers. They had a different way of operating. And unfortunately, the wheel, as in life, goes full circle. Forties and fifties was a very unfair system very exploitative. Then, because the profits were made on the time the ship was in port, if the ship was in port four days, it lost money. If it was in port three days, it made money. If it was in port for two days, it made a lot of money. So the dockers would have realised that. So for a period, they were able to exploit that. And then with forklifts, never mind containers, everything changed. So the, the workforce would have gone from three, in the deep sea end, the workforce would have gone from 3,000 to 180 to, I maintain zero now. So that, that was in the background as well. The foreman, and it was strange, the foreman came from Docker families, but they became all powerful. And as a history group, we, we were looking for photographs of the reed, and very few of them exist. So here's a, no, a big wooden stand where anything up to a thousand men stand in front of and they're picked. And then it's great being involved in the society, meeting people. There was one foreman who was that lazy, uh, where the Ferryman pub is now, that was a t kind of a tenement. There was a number of families in that, in that building. And the foreman used to open the window every morning and there'll be hundreds and hundreds of men. I haven't been able to establish whether he's in his pajamas, but he would read or call out or pick his men from his bedroom window. So the, the more established you know, Fair Play, Don Bennett, Ailey McCarroll and others have, have researched, and some people thought there was only one read, but there was multiple reads. So the men turned up at seven o'clock, the foreman uh, picked and if you weren't picked, if you're lucky you had a bike, you'd use the Liffey Ferry and you'd go to the next read. So the foreman decided not to remember your name. There would be clerks there uh, 
where you'd have to hand in your card and show who you were. So the, the, the nicknames were primarily a, a kind of a lazy way with the foreman. Uh, and then the Dockers themselves would give nicknames. And then undoubtedly, if you got, if the button system came in and you got your father's button and that entitled you to walk there, you took your father's name. And even to this day, people would say to me, I was at a funeral recently of, of Bobby Morphy. And if you ask me what Bobby's first name is, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I keep in touch with Bronco Dennis, and I do have to rack my brain to remember that, that it's, it's George Dennis. And then we've tried to establish by writing down the names where they came from. And in a lot of, in a lot of cases, no, there's no explanation. Again, he's passed away. There was one Docker, uh, Nudger Keating, and he said he preferred to be called Big Nudger. So I think every man on the quay would have liked that one. Some students at one stage tried to establish where they came from. Like, Fatsa Curry wasn't fat. Uh, rubber legs, I don't know. Who was the fellow Buckets of Blood? Yeah, so he, he's still alive. <laughs> so I have to be very careful what I say about him. Oh no, uh, he was a lovely, lovely quiet chap. <laughs> so, no, there was early houses about seven o'clock in the morning. There was a tendency, prior to me starting there, there was a tendency that you had to acknowledge that the foreman picked you. So the phrase matchbox came about. So a matchbox is where you put a one toured your wage into a matchbox and you handed it to the foreman when he went to light a cigarette. So there's all to be a tradition of going to the pub and putting money aside behind the bar for the foreman. So a lot of it happened now in the pubs. The, the whole uncertainty of the walk, now you're turning up and you've no guarantee, maybe a good wage today, but not, no walk down for another five or six days. Meeting up with, it was a very male environment, meeting up with all the lads in the pub. So, so yes, alcohol did play. I, I kind of smile. I had one doctor tell me, and this chap specialised in coal. Don Bennett was giving a talk in East Wall about the coal dockers. It was the hardest work by any means, the most dangerous. And some dockers opted for it because it was the most consistent. And Don Bennett, who was a lecturer, uh, said that the dockers sucked on a lump of coal to stop the coal dust going into their lungs. And someone at the talk said, what a load of crap. And he didn't use the word crap. And I had a mic and I passed it on to uh, Bronco Dennis, who's a coal docker. And he said, strange as it may seem, every day when I start work, I suck down a lump of coal. And then we give talks in schools and then we get barred. Because every day, coal docker started the day by pissing on his hands in the belief, that possibly might be some truth in it, that it stopped him getting wells on his hands from using these really heavy coal shovels and loading tubs of coal. But I've also had cold dockers telling me that they, they took Guinness for medicinal purposes. So somehow I'm going to have to pass on that one. <laughs>